you asked me the question earlier, hey, these brands are coming in. How do you feel? And I was very careful to say any brand that's really committed to making a high quality and reliable and phenomenal electric vehicle, I welcome them into the space. I welcome that competition. One of the fears is that somebody comes in and makes a crap product and it gets into enough hands that an entire group of riders that could love electric turn their back on it because they just picked the wrong brand that wasn't fully committed to making the best vehicles. We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money. This is GarageCast. Welcome to GarageCast, episode number 48. This is Tony Gonzalez coming to you from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. As always, I have uh, my partner, Sam Dantzler, in the virtual studio. Sam, what's shaking today, man? Not a dude. I'm still trying to field some of the some of the emails and text messages we got from that last uh, Marine Data podcast we put out there. I think you and I were a little fired up that day. We threw some heat out there, and it's certainly coming back at us. You need to get some broader shoulders over in that marine industry. You know that? So, <laughs> toughen up a little, guys. Yeah, toughen up a little bit with your boat shoes and your wine and cheese parties. No, uh, it was a it was a really good episode and definitely got a lot of texts and a lot of emails about uh, the, the data being great. So I think it was a really good podcast. So I haven't been super excited like this for a podcast in quite some time. Um, but I, I want to introduce this guy right off the get-go because you and I are kind of fascinated with this topic. We ask everybody about electric, whether it's in boats or RVs or bicycle or the power sports industry. And we always get some really keen answers. And I'm excited to introduce Sam Pachel from Zero Motorcycles. Sam, thank you so much for being on our show, man. Guys, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Sam is the CEO of Zero Motorcycles located in California, and Sam and I are going to try and hit him with every question that we can about uh, about the electric segment and, and whatnot. So, Sam, let's just get right into it. Um, you come from a non-traditional background in this industry. You know, a lot of people work their way up as, uh, you know, from OEMs. They start out as a, a district manager or whatnot, and they work their way up into the position that you're in. But you come from an industry ripe with snowboards and skull candy. How did you end up here? It's an interesting path. First, there are a lot of similarities. I think that if you look at my background, I spent 12 years at Burton Snowboards in a variety of roles and then left there and ended up working at Skull Candy in the consumer electronics space for about four as well. And we took that from a publicly traded company. It got purchased and went private. And as that was winding down, I was looking for the next opportunity. The really interesting thing about zero motorcycles specifically and about power sports or the motorcycle industry is that Similar to snowboarding, you have a really passionate consumer base. You have people that define who they are. Big pieces of their identity are tied up in these sports and these activities. So I spent a long time sort of cutting my teeth and learning how to run businesses at Burton, which had this incredibly passionate group of consumers who would let you hear about it if you did things right and if you did things wrong. And then I got to spend a little bit of time in the consumer electronics space and on technology. And Zero is really the culmination of those two things. You throw on top of that that, you know, I had my first motorcycle at about eight years old. It was a Suzuki RM80. Uh, I laid it down on some gravel at my uncle's farm. My parents sold it out from underneath me without really telling me. So this for me was the ultimate revenge of getting to be the CEO of an electric motorcycle company because my parents took away my bike when I was eight. <laughs> that, 
So I, I grew up in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and, and we were uh, obviously big time skiers growing up as kids. And I remember the first time I ever laid eyes on a Burton snowboard. It was the one that had no bindings and it still had a rope on the tip and you had to pull it, you know, into your feet and, and depend on that way to get down the mountain. And I remember going to my friend Alex Talley's house that couldn't take it on the mountain, obviously, but we were messing around with that thing. And I just kept thinking to myself, oh, that's a pretty cute little toy that Alex has, you know, you know, that's, I'd love to hang out and play on that a little bit more, but lo and behold, here we are. Uh, I hate to say 30, 40 years later and they're everywhere, man. So that's super cool. I got to, I was lucky enough to work pretty closely with Jake Burton, who was the founder. And in the early days for that brand, some of the work that they did in advocacy, just to to spread the word, get more people to try it, to really build the sport was a huge part of their long-term success. And things aren't that dissimilar from zero. We really see ourselves as the brand that helped define this space of electric motorcycles. Um, we're the ones that are pushing it forward and getting as many butts on seats uh, in a year as we possibly can to kind of spread the word and, and be the protagonist for electric motorcycles in the world. Sam, this is Sam over here on the other side of the fence. Good name. Obviously, we all had some very <laughs> good parents growing up. Um, I, I was a ski bum out in uh, Beaver Creek for a number of years. And uh, for the marine dealers who are listening to this, if you remember the first wakeboards, the scurfers out there, those of you who know, know with the pointy tip and the twin tail section, that is what some of the original Burtons used to look like. And so um, I, I would suggest to you that those have come a very, very long way as have the wakeboards and surfboards and stuff like that. But uh, I think some of your early comments were spot on that we, we very similar industries as far as passion based enthusiast, lots of emotion that surround Burton and uh, Skull Candy as well. And certainly now zero, zero emission motorcycles. I'm, I have a question for you about an all electric motorcycle company. Seems like everybody is going electric. You have all the major motorcycle brands trying to make an electric motorcycle. You have so many of the bicycle industry brands trying to make electric bicycles. I'm not quite sure where the threshold is where the bicycle stops and the motorcycle begins, but how does that change your strategy with so many people entering as competition or do you even see them as competition? Those are really different categories when you look at emerging electric motorcycle or power sports brands and e-bike. Fundamentally, I don't think we ever expected to be all alone in the space. I think that long before I came on board, our investors and prior leadership saw that electric was coming, that there was going to be this, this wave of adoption that would happen because of some of the benefits of the electric powertrain. But I don't think anybody ever expected that as that market emerged and people transitioned from internal combustion engines to electric, that zero would stand alone and nobody would ever catch on. Um, in fact, we're counting on it at a certain level. The more brands out there that enter the space and are serious and are committed to making high quality and reliable electric motorcycles, that rising tide is going to bring additional attention the electric motorcycle category, and it's going to lift all ships. So of course we expect competition to enter. Um, we think it's a great thing for this category, for its attention. We welcome the competition. Uh, luckily, you know, we have 14 years and millions of miles of experience with pure electric motorcycles that give us a head start. And the problems you have to solve, they're significant. It's a fundamentally different vehicle with a different set of challenges. So any major or minor competitor out there that is committed to making great products. We welcome them into the space. It signals a different kind of competition and a different push for us. You know, for the last 14 years, we've been trying to push awareness and acceptance and adoption on the electric side long before Tesla had come along and had gotten popular or people knew that it was even an option. Now that that wave's hitting, we're positioned really, really well for that growth and for the, the increase in adoption for electric vehicles. 
And anybody else that's smart enough to enter the space, as long as they're serious and they're committed to making a high quality vehicle, we welcome them and we welcome the competition. I just want to go a little further because, you know, we, we, we've seen different brands out there. You know, you mentioned Tesla. We see an entire segment in the bicycle industry, obviously. We've seen some work with Harley. We're going to get to Polaris here in the future. Future questions here. But could you identify anybody? And I know that this probably gets a little more invasive is can you identify any co- corporation that is your competition right now, whether that is that they're making uh, motorcycles that are coming after zero because, you know, obviously you guys have been the player in here forever. You know, then you have uh, companies like Energica uh, that are making really super high quality. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it appears to be. And uh, do you have direct competition, Sam, that you're saying, you know, what, we got to keep ahead of these guys or we got to go chase them? Yeah, there's nobody I think we're chasing. And I think just you named two right off the bat, right? You named Harley Davidson, you named Energica. One, a really big established player in the internal combustion space that I, I think has has frankly struggled getting their product and their their electric division off the ground. Uh, and the other in Energica, which is a small Italian brand trying to make inroads into the US and trying to build a business in Europe. We're, of course, intimately aware of all the people that are making a play and making a push. Again, this is all we do. We, we've not, we're not just leading in the space. We've defined the category. We keep our eye on like the rumor, the rumor mill, the same way that you guys do about who may be coming out with electric vehicles or what might be coming. We obviously pay close attention to Harley and Livewire, uh, paying close attention to Energica and any other established players. And then there's an entire category with a bunch of small startup players that are lower displacement, lower range, lower price, lower quality that are coming in as well that are maybe a little bit above the e-bike space and below the electric motorcycle space. And, uh, you know, at Zero, we keep our eyes on the entire cross-section here. As much as we're an electric motorcycle brand, we're also a powertrain brand and have the technology and capability of being an electric transportation brand for a full range of vehicles. So we keep a close eye on all of it. You know what, Sam Dantzler, what I just heard there, and I like it, is garage composites. We don't play in the consulting space. We define it. That's right. I wrote that down, too. (laughs) We define the category. No, it's funny. Like you're hitting on something that's interesting. We we saw this emergence and we saw this happening, and we saw a lot of brands trying to come in and claim whether yeah. it was range or power or zero to sixty leadership positions. And there's a fundamental difference between claiming that you lead in a category and being a brand that from the very beginning has been at the forefront of pushing it and defining what it means to be an electric motorcycle. And there'll be marketing and brands will come in and it will get much more competitive and everybody will want to claim leadership. But there's, there's only one brand that was really there at the beginning to push and define it. And it, again, it parallels that experience with Burton, which is like that was the brand that was at the forefront of pushing for the acceptance of snowboarding and being a part of creating that movement from the beginning. And no matter what happens in the future technologically or how much money somebody has to spend, nobody can be here right now and claim that they're the brand that helped to create the category and define it from the very beginning. That is super cool. And when you're talking about acceptance too and and... Um, I, I moved to Beaver Creek to be a ski bum out there in 94. And so truly, uh, not necessarily at the beginning of the snowboard era, but on the, on the front end of more of that acceptance. And I find it interesting that so many ski slopes, even then, weren't accepting of snowboards. You had to go to a different slope. And I remember Aspen was one of the last holdouts. You had to go to Snowmaster ride a, a snowboard. And I know you know that. So relative to the naysayers on electric in this internal combustion motorcycle crack the throttle world, let me ask you a question on that. 
And and let me let me first tell you where I sit, so you know where I stand. We we my family we own an electric vehicle. Uh, I love the look of that new GE Hummer EV. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of electric vehicles, so I'm not in that naysayer camp. But what do you say to the naysayers who say um, that it's not better for the environment? That you have the battery issue, the carbon footprint, the detractors that say the charging station remains tied to coal power plants. Um, what's the response to them and how do we get them over the hurdle to start to buy into this electric craze? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We were really focused on doing a good job of articulating the story of the brand and make, making sure that people understand the benefits of the technology first and foremost. There's always going to be a cross-section of folks who are going to be either the last ones that come over and convert or who just aren't interested in electric now. And there's just this really natural pace to the acceptance of new technologies. And we find that the majority of our consumers are forward thinking, they're early adopters of new technology. It, it isn't a huge battle or, or set of arguments to get them to set aside any of the assumptions they're making about electric. They come in pretty well educated, they're seeking us out, they're looking for what, what is new and cutting edge in a space that hasn't seen innovation of this kind ever. To be honest, we can build a really strong, really powerful brand and business without having to win over the people that are on you know, heritage cruisers who want to ride with their feet in front of their butts and just really want a long haul that are, that are hardcore guys who, who might be older and slower to adopt new technology. Those consumers are phenomenal. They're a part of the fabric of this sport. Um, they're a part of power sports and the motorcycle space. They're a big part of it in the United States. Those aren't the people that are going to come over to us first. Those aren't the people that we're talking to or, or building products for. There is a huge groundswell of people that are truly those early adopters of new technology that are seeking out zero and they're interested in electric and the benefits that it brings. And those are the, the first consumers that come in the door. And if we never get to the people that are the heritage cruiser diehards, we're still going to build a phenomenally successful brand and business just working with the willing and talking to people who really want to hear what we have to say and are willing to throw a leg over and give the bike a try. Now, what I'll tell you is even when you run into hardcore holdouts and people that come in and are predisposed to want to hate electric motorcycles, the harshest criticism I've heard, and I'll, I'll do secret shopping and I'll watch people take demo rides and we've run events before without letting them know who's who at the event. The harshest thing I've ever heard with somebody getting off one of our bikes is, well, you know, I don't like it. But man, that's the future. Literally the harshest criticism I've heard. Somebody throws a leg over one of these bikes, they twist the throttle, and they have a remarkable experience doing it. So even if it's not for them, I think we win hearts and minds just by getting butts on seats. Yeah, I, that's a good answer. I, I wrote, I'm just taking notes as we go. And so, you know, Tony, my big takeaway from that is that I am forward thinking. As an electric vehicle owner, I just wanted you to know I'm forward thinking and I am cutting edge. That's what I wrote from Sam's notes. We appreciate you. are not your a motorcycle rider. That's the one, that's the one thing we got to distinguish. You're Said a the guy <laughs> that I was leaving in the turns out in California. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know what? I'll follow up, follow up question on that one, um, Sam, is... Is the thought and and listen to to pinpoint what Sam says is I'm I'm fast. We are both fascinated with electric, and I I can't wait for the day that things are electric, and I really have a solid choice of everything I'm doing. Right. So again, is the thought that I, I saw an, an ad in the newspaper the other day um, that I was fishing through that had you know it was the guy that was standing by an, an electric bicycle 
plugged into the wall and then that that house you could see the the cord going all the way to this coal plant that's you know dirtying the skies right is is the point that we are readying ourselves for the future of super clean energy and that at the end of the day this is all going to catch up to where we are now meaning the vehicles are the first things here we just have to catch up with the large macro producers of energy is that where we're going yeah, it's a really interesting set of questions that are that are based on one of the things that you can be passionate about in order to be interested in zero, and that's the ecology element. My first presentation, my first address to the company, one of the things that really struck me about zero is that there's so many things you can really lean into and be passionate about. You can be passionate about motorcycles. You can be passionate about power sports. You can be passionate about being a disruptor in a space and introducing new technology and just fundamentally changing transportation or an entire category of business. You can be passionate about ecology and conservation. And what I told the people then is if you're not passionate about any of those things, you're probably walking into the wrong building every day. For us, although I will tell you that internal combustion engine motorcycles have a, a ton of pollutants. They're a high particulate pollutant vehicle. Now they're really fuel efficient, but for the mile per mile on the road, uh, they kick out a ton of pollutants. So first of all, we're a much cleaner option than what you have on the internal combustion engine side. And again, we have a ton of consumers that come to us because of the environmental impact being lessened and being smaller. 100% from a, an infrastructure standpoint, we can continue to get cleaner with our sources of energy. But from a pollutants and greenhouse gas standpoint, um, an electric motorcycle is a much more responsible choice. And it's a step in the right direction. And I think end to end for zero, and all the work that we do, we can continue to strive and push to be even more ecologically sound and have a smaller footprint. And I think that's true of infrastructure as well. But at any level, if you care about it, know that we're moving in the right direction by moving away from internal combustion engine vehicles. And especially on the motorcycle side where the emission standards on motorcycles, just because of the proportion of vehicles that are out there uh, and their fuel efficiency, the emission standards are so much more lax that they're phenomenally polluting vehicles and you do a much better job. For every one of those that we could replace with an electric motorcycle, we do a better job of cleaning up the air and the environment than if you were to swap out an internal combustion engine car for an electric one. Let me ask you another question. You know, Sam and I recently uh, were able to interview Robert Patrick, who is a movie star, you know, of, of Terminator fame. We were able to go riding uh, through the uh, hills of California with him. And we were both on two uh, live wires and just fantastic motorcycles. I had a great time riding those things all day. Can electric ever overcome that cool factor of twisting a throttle and hearing a gas powered motor rev up? Um, and, and I'm sure we're, we're looking to go there and give some side, sort of tactile feel is it just that or can it overcome that cool factor? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And again, I think this is really going to depend on the consumer. Uh, somebody that's out there and wants to twist the throttle and just loves that brap, like that's going to be a hard person to convert over, especially early. I'll tell you that for our consumers and for me personally, you know, I, I had a decision on whether or not I was going to join the company as part of the interview process. And I was a lifelong motorcycle rider, mostly vintage bikes. I had uh, old Honda CB750s and 550s that I'd rebuilt. And I had a, a Triumph Bonneville and then a Triumph Thruxton. I had a lot of gas bikes. And after being in the interview process for a number of months, I decided like, well, I really should go check one of these things out and take a ride and see if I want to continue to engage to see if this is the right fit. And over the course of a 30-minute test ride, I went from being sort of interested in what they had going on at zero 
to the place where I was willing to take a job here as the janitor just to be a part of the movement that was being created. Now, for me, that came down to, you know, riding a motorcycle, to your point, engages all five of your senses. Now, two of those are exactly the same on an electric motorcycle and on a gas motorcycle. You have the same visual experience. You're seeing the same things. You have the same sense of taste. I guess if you wanted to eat bugs in an open-faced helmet on a gas bike and an electric bike, you could eat just as many. It's not a, it's not a critical sense, right? But from a sense of smell, from a sense of sound, and from a sense of touch, a tactile standpoint, it's a really different riding experience. What I found was all the things that got stripped away going from internal combustion to electric were things that I really didn't miss. But the one thing that did emerge for me was that it was the purest connection between me as a rider and the road that I had ever experienced. All the vibration that would ordinarily have your hands go numb after about a 50-mile ride, all the noise and the signal, everything that got in the way between me and just feeling that road, laying the bike down on its side, and just finding my line through the turn, all of that was gone. And it was the most pure and exhilarating connection between me and the road that I'd ever felt. And that's what clicked it over for me. It was just that tactile sensation. And I could, you know, I could hear what was going on around me and there was no fumes. But for as many people as I think, you know, really want to turn that throttle and have that really loud experience, you're going to have just as many that realize that none of those things are fundamentally necessary. And the riding experience is a transformational riding experience and very different on electric. And for me, the most pure connection between the rider and the road was the thing that put me over the top and had me lean way into the electric riding experience as opposed to really missing some of the things that had been stripped away by getting rid of the internal combustion engine. Now, the problem is I'm sitting inside of the Zero offices as the CEO of Zero Motorcycles. So of course I have a bias. If I didn't believe and love those things, then I wouldn't have the job that I had and I wouldn't have chosen to come here. And I think the only thing you can do is just, we have to make it available and encourage as many riders as possible to go out there, throw a leg over one of these bikes and take it for a ride and decide for yourself I've never had anybody that came back and was like, meh, and just disappointed or didn't get something just fundamental from that shift in the riding experience. Boy, I almost feel silly now asking the rest of the questions. I feel like, Tony, we could end the podcast right there on the pure so That was connection. definitely a mic drop for sure. That was a, yeah, the pure connection with the road. Like, we're done. Let's go home and let's all go buy some new zero motorcycles here. But I am going to jump ahead to this one because I, I want to, I'm going to take the long way around on this question, Sam. So bear with me here. I, I think about Indian motorcycle through some of their uh, acquisitions through the years before Polaris got a hold of them. You know, they would use an SNS motor and they would outsource different parts and they would put it together and they put an Indian label on the outside of it. In the early days, and I'm talking about um, in the days of the AIM Expo. So for our listeners who aren't in the power sport industry, that's the American International Motorcycle Expo, which kind of took the place for the Indy show, which was our big, huge convention. But in those early days of zero in that 2010 to 2013, maybe era, I would see your, your VP of sales, good friend of mine, Mike Cunningham, he would be repping the product at the booths and I'd go by and I'd see him. And I bumped into a bike once at the Vegas booth and I knocked the turn signal off. And I'm like, come on, man, you got an electric motorcycle. You guys can't even get the turn signals right. And clearly I was um, jabbing at him a little bit there, but I'm wondering about how much of your motorcycles are solely produced by you guys, as opposed to outsourced parts that come in. And, and was the evolution of zero like and I could understand if this is the case, like, let's get the engine right first, and then we'll worry about all the ancillary pieces of the motorcycle. And I say that as I'm staring at the new Zero SRS, which you guys launched earlier this year, because 
I am the sport bike generation, as is Tony. And this thing just looks stunning and beautiful and not like any bike that I remembered from those convention days. Yeah. So great question. A couple of parts, right? So first, I mean, I think from 2010 to 2013 to today, you're going to see a business and a brand and a collection of products that are more different than similar than what maybe existed back then. For an electric vehicle company, you know, seven to, uh, to 10 years is a lifetime. There are a lot of brands out there in this space that aren't even that old. And, you know, we're, we're actually a very old and very evolved electric vehicle company. For right now, you know, we have a global supply chain. If we have somebody that is a global leader, you know, like you're not going to build from scratch your own brakes. There are really common components that you're going to pick up when it comes to some of the key elements of the motorcycle. And we spec out those components instead of building from scratch. I think the place where our, the reliability and the performance of our vehicles really leapt forward is when we started doing the assembly of our own battery packs. We have our own patented and designed motor that in a really small space produces phenomenal torque and performance with great thermal properties so it doesn't overheat. I think you just really saw us take a leap forward and it was after that 2013 window as we started to design and engineer all of our own powertrain components. And we spec the best parts we can across the board on the bike. We're trying to do it in a way that creates value for a consumer and matches the price point and what you'd expect from a premium electric motorcycle. When it comes to the core of what this business is about, and this isn't that we don't care about those other pieces, but the core of this business is really about those powertrain components, uh, the ruggedization, weatherproofing, waterproofing, and systems integration of the fundamental pieces that go together to get that bike to, to move forward and to get the, you to spin the back tire in a way that is exhilarating and thrilling as well as really reliable. And those are really hard problems to solve. So again, we, we have a global supply chain. We spec the best parts we can, but where we really obsess every day and the core of what we're about are really those powertrain components, the systems integration, and as much or more than anything else are the software that drives it and integrates it. We are we're an industrial company where we manufacture all of our vehicles right here on campus in the USA. We're obviously a vehicle company that designs and, and engineers electric motorcycles. But as much as all of that, we're a software company and a consumer electronics company that's producing this fundamental central nervous system or this brain for this vehicle that is a thing allows it to perform the way you want it to perform in a really broad variety of conditions that consumers will see in the real world. Well, and I, th I also think you're, you know, you talked about the system integration and how those parts all perform with each other. You don't get to play in the adventure space until you have that integration. And that adventure bike you guys have looks, uh, from, from an adventure bike guy that lives in the foothills of Colorado, it looks incredibly exciting. And I think whether we're talking about an electric truck that people are going to take out camping on trails or an electric motorcycle that we're going to get lost in the woods with, that reliability factor certainly plays into it. So I really enjoyed the answer there with the system integration. Sam... Zero just formed a really large partnership with Polaris. And how has this affected your trajectory? What's, what's the plan for the future, I guess, as much as you can reveal? Talk to us about that partnership. I think it's groundbreaking, not just for us, but for the industry. You have in Polaris the global worldwide leader in off-road vehicles. For that brand to come and, and first of all, be interested in, in working with us and to validate the decisions we've made, the components and the technology that we've developed over time, it's one of the most gratifying moments I've had in my career. And for all the people here, we couldn't be more excited about that partnership. On, on a note card, if you'd asked me on day one here, if there was somebody that I could pick to be 
the ideal powertrain partner for Zero Motorcycles, it would have been Polaris. They were on the short list of sort of the dream partnerships for us. So I think from a brand recognition standpoint and from a trajectory standpoint, it has a massive impact on us. I mean, we're, I'm going through budgets and I've got 42 open positions between engineering, quality, and the supply chain in order to be able to make sure that we're servicing that partnership in the right way and that we're living up to our obligations and that Polaris and Zero together can go out there and make some of the most exciting off-road vehicles in the world. One of the surprising areas is that what that endorsement from a brand of Polaris's caliber has really changed some of the inbound requests and, and calls from a dealer development standpoint. We have um, more demand for our motorcycles than we could fulfill uh, over the course of the last 18 months. And um, we're looking for the right distribution points because we have it's demo request section of the website where people want to go out there and check out the bikes. And we, we haven't had a broad enough or strong enough dealership base in order to just satisfy that need. The endorsement from Polaris just brought a lot of really strong dealers out that came in and are viewing Zero in a different way and really excited to partner with us. But that deal being signed is one of my personal career highlights. It's one of the biggest moments for Zero Motorcycles as a brand. And I think what you're going to see is the changes that we're making, the investments we're making, and the work that we're already doing with Polaris are going to transform Zero, and they're going to transform the off-road vehicle space in partnership with Polaris in a way that is unprecedented. You know, follow-up question on that is, who asked who to dance? You know, did Polaris come <laughs> to your table and be like, hey, Sam, why don't you come and hang out with you? Was that Scott Wine that called you personally, or did you have to hit Scott up? <laughs> that's like a, that's a really dangerous question on like, <laughs> who asked you out, right? So yeah. here's what I'd say. I, there, uh, before, that even predates me, a long time ago, there was a, a, a former Polaris leader that was on the board at Zero that, that predated me. So there are relationships and connections between the Zero Motorcycles leadership team today and even prior, and even our investors that go back long before my tenure as CEO. And I think that laid the fundamental foundations. And how that started back then, I can't say. But in January of this past year, they had reached out for an exploratory conversation. We offered to host them. Uh, and more than anything else from that first conversation, which I think was just them getting the lay of the land and electric and and learning who we were and what we could, the thing that struck us was just the similarities in the cultures and the personality. We sat across the table from the guys from Polaris, even in that first meeting, the way that they approached the conversation and the business, the transparency, um, the level of passion, and just the intelligence of the team we were dealing with. You really couldn't tell who was a zero employee and who was a Polaris employee. It seemed like the cultures were a really natural fit. And I think as much as we had the technology and they're a phenomenal brand in the off-road vehicle space, I think that cultural fit was one of the things that really laid the foundations for us to get the partnership done. Well, Scott Wine, is, he's certainly a, a forward thinker, as clearly you are, as we're in the middle of this podcast here. Let me ask you a question about, you know, crystal ball question here. Um, you, you had mentioned seven to 10 years being like a lifetime. I want you to forecast out another 10 years. Where are we? relative to electric power. And I don't, I don't mean just for motorcycles, but how the, how the world operates. If you could paint the picture and give us your vision, what would that look like, Sam? It's a really interesting question. So I'll tell you this. If I could give you an answer to that that was accurate, I would quit zero motorcycles today <laughs> uh, and I would start an investment fund that would tell you exactly where to place your dollars and cents and what to do. And I get questions like this a lot. Like, hey, when are electric vehicles going to be 50% of the motorcycle market? And I, I can't honestly tell you that. I really can't. 
what I can tell you is that with based on just the curves and adoption and the way that the adoption of technology accelerates, within the next five, seven years, you're going to see the adoption curve in electric change in a fundamental way, and it's going to grow at an exponential rate. And what's going to happen, that's going to create more fluidity in market share and leadership in the power sports space than has ever existed since we went from horses to internal combustion engines. So you have a larger than $8 billion global market that in the transition to electric is going to become more fluid and there's going to be one set of winners and losers today. There's going to be another set of winners and losers at the end of that transition at some level in a significant way to electric. In the face of that, would you rather be three years early or three years late? Because three years late means the fundamental competitive dynamics of that market have set up. Now to come in and steal share from established players the level of innovation or marketing is going to be huge. So for us, the, the fundamentals of the investment thesis here is that electric, in a lot of ways, is a superior technology. There's going to be this transition from internal combustion to electric. That's going to create more fluidity and market share than has ever existed. And there's going to be one set of winners and losers on either side of that. And we'd rather have a fully mature, developed central nervous system, systems integration approach, a set of components and technology when that moment happens, as opposed to be chasing it. And so that's where we sit today. So I think my short answer would be in seven to 10 years, you're going to see significantly more electric vehicles of all types on the road as the technology continues to accelerate and develop. Of course, I have to believe that as a CEO of an electric motorcycle brand. But fundamentally, if I'm off by a few years and it's later or it's earlier, You'd much rather be zero motorcycles today than a brand that doesn't have any path forward and doesn't know its way through the minefield that can be developing an electric vehicle. That late to the party comment is uh, that is spot on. So, uh, Tony, I will rewind you up to the fact that your business partner is forward thinking, according to Sam. So rather be early to the party than late to the party. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. He said that with a straight face for all I of did. you that I can't that. tell. Yeah. Um, Sam, real Sam, by the way, now, Swarthmore College. That's outside of Philly, yes? It is. Okay. Swarthmore College, 92 to 96. Two things stick out to me. First one, mechanical engineer is the first. The second one, with a lot of hubris, three-sport athlete. I love it three sport athlete. I want you to tell us what were those three sports and how does mechanical engineering help you today or work with you in your current position? Okay. So first let's be really clear. Uh, Swarthmore <laughs> college. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's where I went to school. Love yeah. it. Phenomenal experience. Incredible people. Uh, a ton of respect for the, for the university. Yeah. To be a three sport athlete, a division three school that's known for its academics more than its athletics. Isn't that big a challenge. I mean, <laughs> it, I, I played football and I ran indoor and outdoor track, but if, if you were walking around campus and somebody tossed a ball to you underhand and you caught it, you could make a sports team there. Like again, <laughs> renowned for their, for their academics and for having incredibly driven and smart people, but, but not an athletic powerhouse and no disrespect to the university or its athletes at all. Mm, so it. the mechanical engineering degree, you know, first for me, I loved gear. I loved the motorcycle I had when I was eight. I loved sporting goods equipment. I, I loved figuring out how things worked. So that was a natural step for me is to really start up and, and take a course load that would allow me to really dig into how things worked and to try to build a career working on products that I loved and things that I was passionate about. How does that help me today? I'll be honest. I wasn't a very good engineer. 
Um, no shortcoming from, from the education that I got, but I came out of school as a design engineer and realized that I would never be great at that job uh, and parlayed that experience and then did work as a manufacturing engineer and did sourcing stuff and then figured out that instead of just working on the products themselves, working on the business sides that could make those products successful and get them into consumers' hands that would love and care about those products was more gratifying. The way it helps me today more than half of the employees we have at Zero are engineers. It is the core of what this brand and business is. We're, a, again, an industrial company, a vehicle company, a technology and software company. I know enough about the engineering and, and having gotten the degree that I speak engineer. So to walk into a company that's 50% engineers and to be able to speak the language, to get at least a base level of respect that, that I understand what it takes to bring a great product to market. Although I'm not as talented as our team is, I could never do the work that the phenomenally talented engineers that we have do. But I can speak to them and I can speak to them in engineering terminology and, and understanding what that is. So more than anything else, working at a company like this, speaking engineer and being able to relate to them and just being passionate about the products and the gear and how things come together I think it'd be really hard at this point in Zero's development to be in this seat and not be able to make those connections with some of the really critical people that are building the future of the brand. I love the the concept that you do have to be an engineer to have engineering speak, man. There's something to be said for, you know, computer programmers that it, it all matters. And that's, it's good that it actually translates for what you did at school, at least helping you be the CEO of there. Uh, good stuff. So I, I have a question for you. I always want to know what we don't know. Like, what's a question I don't know to ask? Obviously, you guys are uh, very much into reliability. It's all over your website. The conservation side of it, you you spoke to earlier relative to the batteries and the uh, connection with the charging facilities and stuff like that. Uh, you don't get to be partners with Polaris by having a subpar product or, uh, you know, playing football at a 3A school, something like that. <laughs> but but uh, what don't we know? What don't I know to ask? What's this hidden gem of your story that you love sharing with people that makes them go, holy cow, I had no idea? That's a phenomenal question. I've never gotten that question before. You know, I think that it's a really interesting and complex business. There are parts of it that have been things that, uh, again, as a brand that's helped to define and lead the space that I've been able to be a part of and just leading when it comes to the the tax legislation and the federal tax credits that help to drive adoption and making sure that, you know, two wheel and three wheel vehicles get to be a part of it. That's a phenomenal piece. And, and a really, it was a new thing for me, just from an advocacy standpoint to be out there and to be really pushing the boundaries to make sure that what can be this next great American institution and industry in electric vehicles is something that was being supported. But I think, um, so that there, there's one avenue there. I think the other thing that's, that's fascinating about this space is that, we had a product even four years ago when I walked in that was just at the base core of its DNA, fundamentally differentiated and different from 99% of the products out there because we had an electric powertrain. And a lot of the success that we've unlocked in the last four years is due to, again, the development of a new platform, our SRF and SRS motorcycles, which were these next generation bikes for us are absolutely phenomenal machines. The the PR coverage we got from that, the level of interest um, just from the industry and from outside of it skyrocketed as we launched those bikes. That was a huge piece. But beyond just building a phenomenal machine, which is hard enough as it is, again, with, with the challenges and the differences in an electric vehicle, being able to articulate that story in a really clear way to consumers to help them find the right product 
And then being able to work with and find the right dealers and the right distribution network to make it successful. That was as much or almost a bigger piece of our success over the last four years is building those right partnerships and really figuring out how to explain to people the benefits of electric and how to articulate our story and make the technology digestible. So as brands are out there and they're trying to figure out how to make a great vehicle, the second part of that, that until you have a phenomenal electric motorcycle or electric product that you don't even start to learn about are the challenges of articulating that story and marketing and demand creation and the ability to identify who's going to be a great dealer and who isn't and how to help them to be successful. That's this entirely other wave of lessons and development needs to happen for a business that are really, really different than the challenges you face on the internal combustion engine side. It's interesting how you answered that question. And and I think it's spot on. I don't think enough people think of that kind of angle when it comes to that segment. Um, you know, I, I as I told you, uh, live up here in, in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. We have tons and tons of e-bikes cruising around here. Um, definitely starting to see the advent of uh, motorcycles as well. But with those two actually combining and merging, you know, as, as time goes on, you're starting to see some complaints about where these things can and can't go. Trails are getting torn up. Where's the line drawn in our communities and trails and streets between motorcycles, which we see typically as a street legal entity and, and bicycles, which we see as supposed to be on a bike path. Do you, do you have any comments on that? Man, it's a, it's a great question. It's one that I think is going to evolve as you see. So one of the things that I think happens with the e-bike space is that in, in order, without, without the assistance of an electric powertrain on a bicycle, in order to get a bike moving that fast, you need to have spent a lot of time in a saddle pedaling really hard. And that means that you've gained a certain set of skills on handling that bike ideally that allow you to be responsible at that speed. Now, the idea that somebody without those skill sets who hasn't earned that, that really hard-earned capability can now get a bike moving that fast, but may not have just the balance or skill to, to, to do it responsibly and safely. On top of the fact that there aren't any clear regulations, I think that's a space that has to evolve so that we're using these public spaces in a way that's safe and responsible and respects one another. I'm not a smart enough guy and haven't spent enough time on it to know, but I think it's a really interesting and phenomenal set of questions about how does that space evolve? And then what does that mean for electric motorcycles and you know, what is happening at the, the top end of e-bike and what does that mean for what might be an in-between space between full-powered electric motorcycles and bicycles? And what does it mean for like certification and licensure on electric bikes that they can get up to some pretty significant speeds and create, you know, again, phenomenal method of transportation. But I think the question about how do we regulate those or what do we do to make sure that people are using them responsibly and safely are a phenomenal set of questions that we're going to have to tackle as that form of transportation continues to evolve. Well, you said I asked you a question that you had not been asked before, and I'll say that you just gave us an answer we have not heard before, because typically we hear about, you know, the trails and the damage done to the trails and are they street legal or whatever. But when you're specifically talking about the handling skills of somebody on a bicycle who now has some throttle, whether it's electric or otherwise, um, when they're out on a trail, particularly a mountain bike trail, that that's a brand new answer. So like you said, I don't, I don't know what the solution is, but those are great questions to ask. You're living in the heart of it. You have some amazing mountain biking out there. Uh, we have some amazing mountain biking here in Santa Cruz. We're lucky enough. And I, I came from Utah where again, Park City was phenomenal. So I've been really lucky, but 
Uh, I'm sure like is happening here on the mountain bike trails, you guys are experiencing some of it there is you know, trying to figure out and navigate what does this mean and how does it work? The best is when you're, when you believe in your own head that you're cranking along and to your point, you're two, two and a half hours into a mountain bike ride. And then some uh, elderly woman comes blowing by you on the trail going uphill. And you're like, what just happened? Right. And I'm like, you're cheating. She's cheating. Mm. Throw, <laughs> throw a so stick you, in her spokes. Let's get her down. I got to tell you this. I'm slow enough that even if a guy that's really fit passes me, I just tell myself he's on an e-bike. <laughs> just <laughs> convinced. Hey, on a follow-up to that question, are you guys interested in playing in that space? Are, are you particularly just a motorcycle industry? And I say just with air quotes, but any thoughts on taking your technology and rolling into the bicycle world? Man, that is such a great question. We we've, we talk about it and we've debated it. Um, I come back to really thinking long and hard about the consumer and what the consumer's needs are in that space. And you know, we're really good at the systems integration, weatherproofing, waterproofing, and performance elements of these powertrains in this mid power range. And the real question is, are there things that we know or have learned that are these hard earned lessons that can make a better or different electric bicycle in a way that a consumer will really care about and love? Uh, and that's an open question. I think we really need to think about that. You see a lot of brands that are jumping on and doing a job where they have an e-bike and they've licensed their brand and put it on. And we, we could do that really easily. We've got a really great brand in the electric motorcycle space. That's the premium player. And again, that, that brand that helped define the category, we've got the right brand to do it, but it comes down to, can you create a product at a price point consumers want that is going to give them some benefits that they can't find somewhere else. And then from a distribution standpoint, I mean, the bicycle brands that are dominant right now, and there's a bike boom happening, um, the distribution for those guys and the independent bike dealerships and how those work, like if we had an electric bike and we distributed it in a traditional motorcycle shop or space, is the right consumer walking in? Is that where they're seeking it out? Will they know how to service it? Do they need to service it? Those are all really open questions. So I think beyond the product itself, again, getting back to that what does it do for the brand? How are you articulating that story? Are you playing to your strengths and the things that you know how to do better than anybody else in the world? And then do you have the right distribution today? Would it be some of that distribution? Would it be none of it? Would it be all of it? How does it work? I think that right now we've seen the success we've seen on the motorcycle side, because if you walk around zero, you see motorcycle helmets on the majority of the desks. You have a bunch of people here that are passionate about and love and ride and race on the weekends, motorcycles, and instinctually understand that culture and what that consumer wants. And they live and breathe it every day. If you want to succeed on the e-bike side, you have to have a group of people that are the same on the bike side, that live and breathe that consumer's needs and, and want to fulfill that need and understand how to drive that business every day. And we have a ton of people here who pedal on the weekends and twist the throttle on the weekdays or vice versa. But I think before you would see us go and do it, we'd have to believe that in keeping with the, the values of our brand, that we were bringing something really legitimate and innovative and that we were doing it because we believed we could provide the consumer with an experience or a product that was something they couldn't get somewhere else or at least not at the quality level we could provide. Well, I'll tell you, Sam, the, the distribution side of the fence is an interesting question. I think that problem is going to be solved or exasperated very soon here because uh, I don't know if you saw or not, but there's a 
a full line motorcycle dealership down in Florida that just took on all of specialized bikes, what e-bikes, road bikes, all their whole entire line of bikes. And along with that, you've got um, distributor in the power sports side of the fence that you know well, Tucker, uh, you can now get Yeti and intense e-bikes through motorcycle dealerships. So how they're distributed, I think uh, that might be answered for us here relatively soon. Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. There's such a boom there and there's, uh, I, I can't wait to see how that plays out. What consumer walks through that door every day is a, is a bike consumer uh, who's riding on dirt, who's going to be a little bit closer to what you'd see on the moto side, but are they going to be comfortable and seek out and walk into a motorcycle dealership in order to buy that bike and get it serviced? Or do they want to walk into a place that exudes bicycle culture and that's the center and the epicenter in that community of what's going on? It's a really interesting set of questions. I think it's a natural extension, but you want somebody that when you come in and ask a question about what is a relatively expensive electric bicycle that can answer your questions and understands that brand and lives and breathes it every day. And that's the place you're going to go to have it serviced and dealt with. And are you going to go there to have your wheel trued or to have your derailleur, you know, adjusted? If you're a shop that's selling that stuff, no matter what your core business is, you want to be able to provide some services and support to your consumers. It's going to be fascinating. I can't wait to see how all of this evolves and it, it means nothing but opportunity for zero motorcycles and for ongoing uh, evolution in what transportation means in the United States and in the world. And it's a phenomenal and really exciting time to be able to ask these questions and be a part of this transition. Final question, wrapping up here, Sam, with you. And again, we appreciate your time. What's the greatest challenge to the electric market in any segment that exists or will exist in the future? I, I think I have some ideas in my head, but what do you think it is? That's a such a phenomenal question. I think the answer could really change by region and by segment. Um, if you're asking me what are the, some of the things that keep me up at night, I think one, there's going to be a period of education and exposure to electric and this ongoing acceleration of adoption, right? So I think that people having experiences with electric are going to help. I think that you have this this really interesting moment. You you uh. You went the long way around on me to kind of get to a question. I'm going to go the long way around a little bit here to get to an answer for you. So I started thinking when I came to Zero about other industries that maybe experienced a transition like this. And one of the places I landed was photography and cameras. You had traditional, you know, single lens reflex cameras with film that required a lot of chemicals and a lot of complexity and a lot of additional process and a lot of fumes and an actual dark room in order to get photos developed. And at the very beginning of the transition to digital photography, if you didn't have a dark room and you weren't shooting on film, you weren't a real photographer. Um, and now you look at it today and, you know, the convenience, ease and quality of what you get from digital photography. Like, I don't know a lot of people that still shoot film. I think they do it, you know, to be an iconoclast or just on the fringe. And you're seeing some of that with this transition from internal combustion to electric vehicles where less mess, less muss, less fuss, much more immediate gratification um, and just a better, simpler process. But you hear people like, oh, I miss the fumes and I really want this and I want that noise and I want the complexity. Now in that transition from film to digital, one of the things that very early on people honed in on and, and grabbed onto was just megapixels. They needed a number. They needed a numerical value to help them to understand price points in this transition from traditional film to digital. Um, and so they honed in on, oh, this is the megapixel 
valuation, which is like, what's the resolution that this camera is going to be able to provide? And there was this running gun battle around that. Now, I bring that story up because I think there are a lot of parallels to the electric motorcycle space. And for us, for a period of time, it's going to be range. I think one of the things that will really drive a breakthrough for consumers and create more scalable commercial vehicles are breakthroughs in range. But I think like megapixels, that's a little bit of just trying to put consumers at ease about what the vehicles are capable of. Right now, the range on our, our largest capacity bikes are more than enough to handle 99% of the recreational rides that a consumer is going to have or a commute situation. We've got more than enough range for what you want to do in the vast majority of the situations. But people still really worry and they, they buy motorcycles sometimes for an imagined experience of buying a bike today in Colorado Springs, throwing a leg over it with no planning and riding to the southern tip of the Baja Peninsula. That's going to be harder, but possible. People have done it, but that's going to be harder on an electric vehicle. Um, and I think it's, it's that phenomenon of megapixels where they're honing in on a numerical value, which is range or battery capacity is the thing they're holding on to. And I think pretty quickly, they're going to realize the bike has more than enough range for 99% of the scenarios. And what's really going to start to matter is charge time and how fast can you charge the motorcycle and what is the availability of the uh, charging infrastructure. So there's so many things that you could look at that could be the thing that accelerates or decelerates electric. I think people living with these vehicles and learning that they're just fundamentally different and some of the concerns about range go away as you live with a vehicle like this in your life every day. Because when you bring it home or you bring it to work, you plug it in and when you come back out to it, it's full. You don't you don't use it like you use an internal combustion engine vehicle. You don't ride it until the light comes on and it's almost empty and then refill it. You're like your cell phone, you're using it and then you're plugging it in and you're charging it, you're using it and you're charging it. And just every time you come out to it, it's topped off and topped off at a much lower price. So one, I think that people getting exposure to and living with these vehicles is one. I think one of the biggest risks in this rush is people realize they're late to the party are people rushing substandard products into the market. If you look at the maturity um, of our central nervous system, our brain, it's called Cypher 3 is the name of our operating system. That is a mature and fully developed brain that's driving what is a very powerful vehicle. And if you're just entering this space and you're in a big damn hurry, the risk of you producing a vehicle with an immature central nervous system, an immature brain, would be like putting a really powerful vehicle in the hands of a toddler. Now, I have two kids. They're now 10 and 12. I've dealt with toddlers. I've been around them a bunch. They're delightful, but they are really, really unreliable and irresponsible humans. They fall asleep at weird times. They wet themselves. They spit up. They're, they won't put their shoes on when it's time to go somewhere. You wouldn't want to trust your riding experience or your life to a product or a brand that had this immature central nervous system. So if I worry about anything, I worry about brands that come into the space that aren't committed and aren't serious, that are doing this because they think it's coming and it's a sideline to their internal combustion business and don't have the time, effort, expertise to really develop a mature and safe and exhilarating vehicle. And those vehicles getting out there into consumers' hands and turning them off to an entire category of products that are phenomenal if you work with the right brand and the right, the right product. And I'm not saying that's just us, but you asked me the question earlier, hey, these brands are coming in, how do you feel? And I was very careful to say, any brand that's really committed to making a high quality and reliable and phenomenal electric vehicle, I welcome them into the space. I welcome that competition. 
one of the fears is that somebody comes in and makes a crap product and it gets into enough hands that an entire group of riders that could love electric turn their back on it because they just picked the wrong brand that wasn't fully committed to making the best vehicles they could. Yeah, that's just another angle that I just was not thinking. <laughs> another mic drop on that one. That's 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 awesome. Sorry, that was a really, really long answer. But No, uh, I love it. You know, Sam, one of the things you talked about, let's see what question was it. One of the things everyone should know about zero motorcycles. You said leading in legislation and advocacy, which I thought was cool. And then, you know, you talked about your dealer network and and in the middle of it, you wove in the word, although it's my word and you alluded to it, it's the story. It's your storytelling skills, right? And right here on this answer, I think is you've changed certainly my thinking uh, as far as the quality of the product and the adoption of the product and how that looks. Because to your point, we do use them differently. We do have, an, in my family, we have an electric car. And to your point, just plugs in at night and you start up in the morning and nobody thinks about running the battery all the way down before you get it up and do it again. So I think you've done a really phenomenal job here laying out for our listeners kind of what EV is and where it is going to the point where, Tony, did you want to give him our mailing address so we could get a couple of these zeros and really put a few to task? <laughs> give our yeah, account. are you going to need the Steamboat address or the Littleton address? Yeah, well, uh, well, we can do that off air. That's off no air. Off we'll air. drop one both places. You guys let us know which one you use. That's right. perfect. You like that answer. Um, <laughs> Sam Pachel, can't thank you enough for educating us, educating our dealer base out there. And if anybody is interested in zero motorcycles, where should they go? Our website has a phenomenal and up-to-date list of all of our dealers and distribution points. That's www.zeromotorcycles.com. I would encourage anybody that's listening and listens to your podcast, no matter what you think, go out there, throw a leg over one of these bikes. You'll have a remarkable experience. It's something you'll be talking about for a week, uh, even if it's not 100% for you. But go out there and, and get a small taste of what the the next generation of two-wheel vehicles are going to feel like and look like. And uh have an electric riding experience and more often than not we find that people fall in love uh, this has been episode number 48 of garage cast for sam dancer i'm tony gonzalez have a great week thank you guys so much for having me on i had a blast and uh have a great week absolutely, absolutely.